Thank you very much, men, for ministering in music. What we discussed this morning is available on the front table if you, you know, want a copy of you know, most of what I will share, at least a rough outline. This morning, tonight, next Sunday morning and next Sunday night, I sometimes make a distinction between preaching and teaching and just sharing my heart. Probably this morning and tonight and next Sunday will not be so much preaching or teaching as much as sharing my heart. And we'd be discussing no impacting future generations or God's plan for future generations. And I don't think that plan has changed at all. But along the way, down through the pages of history of some 6,000 years of human history, there's been deviation and get back on track and then deviation again. I just want to see what God says and then look at some practical implications, Lord willing, next Sunday. Suppose you have your floor in your bathroom is rotting. You have a company come in and they take a look at the floor and they say, well, you need to replace your bathroom floor. So you re have them come and they replace the floor. And a couple years later, you notice again that your floor is rotting and you call the company and they come again and they say, you know, you need to replace your bathroom floor and you replace your bathroom floor again. Several years later, you notice that your floor is rotting again, and you call the company, and they come, and they say, your floor is rotting again. You need to replace the floor. Fourth time rolls around, you notice your floor is rotting, and again, you call the company, and they say, well, you need to replace your floor. And finally, they say to you, have you ever stopped to consider that you might have a leak? I'm not worried about the leak. We'll just keep replacing the floor. What's your reaction to those people who would think in that way? For many years, the professing body of Christ, I think, has been replacing the floor without stopping to consider and evaluate why the floor is rotting. And I've spent some time over the last few years of reading history of future generations and what the body of Christ has done to impact future generations. And in the last 80 to 100 years, we have replaced the floor quite often. But we really not have, have not stopped to say, where is it leaking? What's wrong? So I just want to talk some about future generations, ministry to children, ministry to teens, ministry to young adults, and to see what God has designed, and then go from there. And I realize that as I share this morning, some questions may come to mind. Jot them down. I'm willing to respond to them. In light of what we did on men and women and so on, someone said, what do you do with children who are not walking with God, talking to adult children? So I've been pondering that and thinking that. How do you parent prodigal children? And by prodigal, I mean those that are not walking with God. 
And again, as questions come to your mind, don't be afraid to ask. I will seek to respond to them. As a shepherd, I have a responsibility to seek to share, to seek to guide, and trust that I will do that this morning. And I do want to say that I'm not opposed to ministry to children. I'm not opposed to anything that is done in our history or the history of the body of Christ. I just think we're building, replacing the floor, but don't stop to consider the leak that is present. And it does influence all of us very, very deeply. And we have no guarantee that no matter what we do, that children and teens and so on are going to grow into godly adults. But what does Scripture say? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 is usually a good place to start. Genesis 1, and we'll read together verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over, over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created Adam. God created Eve in his image. They were to be fruitful. They were to increase. They were to reproduce. They were to multiply. And if you look at the text and you compare it with the balance of Genesis, that reproduction was not merely physical. You know, where they had children, they would have had to teach their children how to care for God's creation. They would have had to teach their children how to worship. In Genesis 4, apparently Cain and Abel, when they came to a Sacrifice to God, they had some idea what to do. Apparently, Adam and Eve would have instructed them. Now, let's go to the last book in the Old Testament. Let's go to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. In Genesis 1, we find that Adam and Eve were responsible to reproduce in all of life. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses talks about the same. The same thing comes out in Proverbs. But in Malachi chapter 4, at the end of the prophets in the Old Testament, we find in verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now this ties in with Christ. It ties in with John the Baptist. In verse 6, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. 
In Luke chapter 2, Jesus was taught by his parents. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Again, Scripture talks about you know, parents and children. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, talks about fathers and mothers and how they respond to children. <clears throat> in Titus chapter 2, it talks about the older and the younger. And in the last year, we have discussed some of those passages. In the last several months, we discussed manhood, womanhood, fatherhood, motherhood, and childhood. Now, I would like you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. In the early part of the chapter, Paul talks about the fact that in the last days there's going to be terrible times. People be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, and so on. Then he gives the example of his life and exhorts Timothy to depend upon Scripture. Notice what is said in verses 16 and 17. All Scriptures God breathed are inspired by God and is useful for doctrine or teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is profitable for what to believe, but it doesn't stop there. It's to rebuke us, to show us we're wrong. It's to correct us, how to correct the rebuke, and then just training in righteousness. God doesn't want our heads filled and expanding. He wants our lives to be transforming. So I want to deal more with the rebuke, correction, and training then this morning, tonight, and next Sunday. And again, we won't necessarily refer to passage after passage. It's built upon some things we discussed in the last several months. A biblical fact. God has one plan, desire, and method for godly offspring or godly future generations. He has one. Primarily parents who live in Christ 24-7 and model a Christ church marriage. It's God's plan. We live in a broken world and that is not always present. And I'll come at that in a few minutes. Secondary, a body of Christ to equip, encourage, spur on parents to obedience and their responsibility and older saints teaching younger saints. You know, providing what children and what teens need. God's plan addresses the issue of with. What better place to have someone with than in the home? and in the body of Christ. It also addresses the model. Parents can show children how. I would pose a question. Does Scripture teach a backup plan or a second plan? The answer is no. 
Can you show me in Scripture where a backup plan is offered? So what happens? The enemy, Satan, and the world system attack this order beginning in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the serpent came to Eve. He didn't come to Adam. That was in defiance of God's pattern. Because the instruction was given to Adam, not to Eve. And that's been happening down through the pages of history, where Satan and the world system seeks to attack. Consider our country today. Divorce is very prevalent. Many marriages don't pursue or picture Christ in the church relationship. Husbands are tempted to be passive in terms of leading. No, the enemy has attacked marriages very, very greatly. What's the attack next? Fathers. Fathers, as we mentioned a number of weeks ago, are tempted to be passive. Are we as fathers formally and informally teaching our wives, our children, Scripture? How many of us guys are praying with our wives and our children? And then he attacks mothers. <clears throat> How many mothers are seeking to lead because dad isn't doing what she thinks he should? How many mothers are frustrated? They desire for their children to be godly but don't see their husband leading. That's the world we live in because the enemy works so hard. Why do we struggle in even being together as a family? Because the enemy wants us divided. And my question is this. We can develop ministries for children and for teens. And I'm not opposed to them, please understand. But if there's a leak in the plumbing, fix that first. Because God's primary design is See, the biggie in our world today is we get busy doing, 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 and what happens? We're divided. Mom goes this way, dad goes this way, kids go this way. It just affects so much. Our primary focus must be on being certain the above three items are on target. And they can be in target as we remember what we have in Christ. That doesn't guarantee the outcome. We're not talking about the outcome. We're talking about God's design and living in light of that. See, the world in which we live brings some issues. 
what do you do with adult children who are not walking with God? How about having a mate who is a non-believer and you're a believer? How do you respond to that? You know, if you're going in somewhat different directions. How about a mate who professes to be a believer but isn't walking with Christ and really isn't on the same page as you? How about a single parent? How about children and teens who are interested but maybe the parents aren't so interested? Seek to address those issues as we go along. And the next question, why do we devote so much time, energy, money, believers, buildings to human ideas and plans to reach children and teens? Please understand I'm not opposed to reaching children and teens. That's not my point. My point is, I think we keep replacing the floor without checking the plumbing. The plumbing being, where are we as the body of Christ? I have some answers, but I'm going to skip over them for now. To go to uh, what I will call just God's a biblical ministry to children and teens. No, our desire, our vision for the present and future generations. The heart of teens and children to be toward their parents for spiritual teaching and guidance in all of life. I find it interesting in Leviticus 19 that there he talks about being holy And in the very next verse, he says, children are to revere or respect their parents. You know, looking to parents. Malachi 4 talks about that, Ephesians chapter 6. So a child, a teen saying, Dad, what does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about sex? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What, What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about worship? How did our world get here? Child, a teen asking dad. Their hearts turned towards dad, towards mom. A mom being asked, what is a woman by her daughter? Why should I dress modest? Why shouldn't I follow Islam? going to the parent. The hearts of children towards dad, the hearts of children towards parents. Tied in with that, the heart of parents to be toward their children for spiritual teaching, guidance in all areas of life. See, I as a parent am God's plan for my children. Concerning What is taught creation, being a citizen, modesty, work, what to do with computer games, and so on. See, that's God's plan. Children looking to parents. Parents looking to children. 
so critical in Malachi as he concludes his book. Talks about a prophet turning the hearts of children to their fathers and the hearts of fathers to their children. Our world today wants to turn the hearts of fathers from their children, the hearts of children from their fathers, the hearts of children from their mothers, and the hearts of mothers from their children. God says the hearts of children towards their parents, the hearts of parents toward their children. Parents, especially fathers, providing the core basic training for children, for teens. Dads, you have been told repeatedly for many years that you cannot teach your children. You can. That's what God has called you to do. And you'll do it better than any professional can ever do because that's God's call. And we're tying with mothers also. Parents teaching, modeling how to be godly, how to walk with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, to be men, to be women, to be husbands, to be fathers, to be mothers, to be employers, employees, citizens, wise handling of money, and so on. That's why we hand out a home discipleship sheet if you want to use it at home as you seek to influence your family. Parents taking that responsibility. If you were to read five chapters of Scripture as a family per week, an average about that per week, you would read through the Bible several times by the time your children grow up and leave home. And a lot of discussion would come up along the way. See, what is a single parent to do? Maybe dad's not around, maybe mom's not around. Fulfill your role as mom or dad and stop with that. What if a dad's unsaved and may not have the same spiritual interest? Fulfill your role as a mother. Sometimes we have to choose to say no to the many things that are possible to do to take care of the important. I usually jog, try to jog five days out of the week. This week I didn't jog as much as normal just because I, I had a head cold and wasn't doing real well. And I complained to Ruth Ann sometimes about my heart, which I was already to the doctor about that a few years ago. And he says, you know, whatever the technical term is, just go on with life. And if you fall over sometime, call the ambulance and, you know, they'll take you to the hospital. He said, nothing to worry about. You know, it happens quite often. Well, this week I was having more issues with my heart and I said something to Ruth Ann and she was talking to my mother and looked some things up on the web concerning my mother and she said, I think you and your mom might have similar things here. And she said, the heart might be affected by the lungs when you don't get enough oxygen. So I said, I guess I better keep jogging. You know, Ruth Ann don't want to be a widow, so you know, kind of says yes. 
So what do I have to do? Over and over again, take care of the important jogging. That's important for me, for my physical well-being. I'm not saying it is for anyone else, I'm saying for me. Because if I neglect that, that compromises my lungs, which are already compromised because of what I had years ago, which then affects my heart, which then affects my life. Now think about that in the context of a family. There's tons of things that come down the road. But we're called to take care of the important. And maybe some things will have to be let go. As we think about God's design, it involves intergenerational interaction, just intergenerational teaching and sharing coming from Titus 2, along with the Old Testament. I'm encouraged many times as I think about Awana. We got a, excuse me, those of you whose names I mentioned, we got an older man like Arden and impacting some young guys for years. That's intergenerational, but it shouldn't stop in the formal time, necessarily. We have an older woman like Sharon impacting younger generations just with her sharing and her interaction. I think about what happened a number of years ago when Jeff was in Iraq, Jeff Martin, put a roof on Jeff and Elka's house. That was intergenerational. Some older, some younger guys, and some very young helping out. That's doing a project together. That's intergenerational. God's design. And whether we realize it or not, formal instruction can take place in formal settings, but instruction can also take place in informal settings. You know, just the whole intergenerational issue is so very very important. How about having a progressive dinner? We say, well, that's for teens. How about having a progressive dinner for some over-the-hillers and those that are going up the hill and some that didn't start up the hill and doing it together? You know, that's intergenerational. Stop and think about teens to be viewed as adults. Rather than adolescence. The whole concept of adolescence, as in our country, is not in Scripture. Teens will be teens. Do you ever stop to think about where that comes from? Adolescence mentality, as in our country, that you have this time between childhood and adulthood where you're in no man's land, no woman's land. It's not in Scripture. It tends to promote selfishness, what they want for six to eight years, and that carries into their 20s and beyond. I know a lot of people in my generation that are still teenagers. The teen subculture in our country does not, movie, does not promote moving towards adulthood. I'll do everything for teens and provide everything that they want, and I'll talk a little about that tonight. Is that healthy? 
because then you get my generation that wants what they want. <laughs> and they've carried that from the time they're 13 years onward. How about an adult and teen mission trip? How about teens doing much of VBS sometime, being mentored by adults? Again, you know, God's design. As we think about God's design, a local church leading, or yeah, leading to provide what children and teens need. What do children and teens need? I list six items there. I won't expand on them. Godly church leaders, godly older saints, biblical corporate worship, biblical body life, godly fathers and mothers, and godly grandparents. How often we're saying, what can we do for teens? What can we do for children? Are we asking, what can we do for parents? Not opposed to doing for kids or teens, that's not my point. But many times we miss the pipe that is leaking, and that is parents. Churches for years have had youth pastors. How about a husband's pastor? or a father's pastor to help them. Couples who are married, who pray together as individual couples with other couples and maybe with single parents. What if mom and dad, whatever the age of their kids, were together praying for their children and their grandchildren or maybe great-grandchildren three or four times a week. And they get together with a couple other couples or a couple single parents, and they pray about their children and just share what their children are going through. They may be adult children. They may be younger children, but praying together. And I think sometimes getting on the knees and crying out to God. Can I take my son to a baseball game? But I can't pray with his mother for him. We hear it over and over again. We got to do something for our kids. We got to do something for our teens. And fine, do it. But our mom and dad praying together. Or mom and dad praying with other moms and dads, or moms praying with other moms and other dads, with other dads for their offspring. I think so critical. We say, I don't play, pray well in public. I don't know, you'll have to process that. God's design. Bring God into the picture. Well, let's play in this activity. Fine, plan it. But let's pray. Grandparents who model and are seeking to teach children and grandchildren and praying with children and praying with grandchildren. My grandparents died before I was very old. 
I don't remember a lot about them. But what impact does it have on children and, or on grandchildren to hear their pap and grandma pray for them? It's one thing to say to grandchildren, I'm praying for you. It's another thing to say, let's pray together. I'm leading. Just the whole issue of model and prayer and so on. Again, and I'm not being critical when I ask this. I just want you to think, why can't a grandparent show up at a grandchild's games but not pray with them? Have we ever stopped to consider that the enemy has been kicking so hard and so long that we even forget that which is important? And I'm not being negative or critical, but do we see the enemy at work? He'll get us doing all kinds of things and neglect that which is important. Our grandkids to this day, when they catch Ruth Ann and I giving a hug, they come and want between us. So we pick them up and put them between us and we continue our hug. Let's make part of that between prayer. How about in God's design, families doing ministry together? Maybe one family doing ministry together. Maybe several families doing ministry together. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking always inside the four walls. How about going and visit the Stovers in Israel sometime? How about helping a widow repair a car and involve as many of your families as you can? How about helping an older person with the lawn or repair job in their house? Doing it together as a family. So what would happen if my dad said, hey, Dan, or Bob, Ron, Bonnie, and Mom, just want you to know that keep Saturday open. We're going to spend the day helping Earl and Furnish with their house. Well, Dad, what do we get paid? You get paid in eternity by your father. How long will it take? We'll probably be going all day. Why should I do this? Because we as a family want to minister to others. We care for them. Parents encouraged and supported in their role. Trained and equipped by other parents or by older couples, couples or by older saints. You take an older couple like Ray and Sharon, and they have raised their children, and they have trained them, they have made their mistakes, they have done things right, as all of us will. And they take a younger couple under them, or a couple of younger couples under them, invite them in their home and say, just ask us questions about parenting and being a mom and dad and so on. We'll respond. So Gene and Joy, Say to Alan and Peg, come on over, visit us. Just want to play some games together, talk together, and uh, let you see how we don't get along or how we do get along you know, as a couple. I want to talk to you a little about kids, you know, mistakes we made, things we did right. Just want you to learn from us. Ever got questions? Ask us. See, that's 
the body of Christ. Helping others. Parents confronted who are negligent, especially fathers. Over and over we say, what can we do for children? What can we do for teens? And I'm not knocking that at all. But when was the last time that some church said, what can we do about negligent fathers who claim Christ? We're going to go talk to them because we love them. My mother being my mother said to me one time she and dad were up to visit as she was walking off the front porch. I was in front of her and she was behind me and she said, Dan, I want to talk to you about your fathering, how you father. Go ahead, Mom. She said what she had to say and I remember that to this day. Tell you where, tell you what she addressed. I was being negligent for a short period of time. She picked up on it by just being in our home for a period of time. What will we do as the body of Christ? When I say the body of Christ, I'm talking about the body of Christ in our country today. We will say, what can we develop for teens? What can we develop for children? We've got to reach these children of parents who are not training their children. But we don't say, let's go and talk to that negligent father. Not saying don't do for kids and teens, but let's fix the leak. I think so critical. See, we're fearful. Oh, they might get mad. Let them get mad. I don't know how to do that. Well, then learn. That's not my job. Yes, it is. You're part of the body of Christ. Most men, and I'm talking men now. Come on up here, Arden. Most men may get angry, they may get upset, and they may not respond positively. But Arden's been, excuse me, Arden, he's been a jerk of a father. I'm not saying he was, okay? (laughs) And I say, Arden, I came to talk to you. You know, I really love you, I care for you, and I've been watching your life, and, you know, we have some type of relationship. I just want to tell you, you, you've really been not being very responsible with your kids. You know, I love you and I care for you. I want to help you. But I want to remind you of your biblical responsibility. Something you want to talk about? Something you even want to consider? Okay. Well, Thank let, you. Yeah. Well, let's just sit down. <laughs> and I made it up here that old, you know, that you were... <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea. We can do for children. We can do for teens. And I'm not knocking that. Do it. But let's check the leak out and fix that. Because we love 
people. See, children involved in Sunday school, teens, Awana, parachurch ministries, whatever else, desiring that they're taught at home also, with the home being primary. Not knocking these other things. But they don't have a lot of impact if the home is neglected. I'll wrap it up with this. I said I've been doing some study on history. And some of my study on history has resulted in reading a number of books dealing with the history of the body of Christ, starting back in the 1910s and 1920s to the present. And as I read through several books, I would keep thinking, ah, they're going to talk about parents. They didn't. I read on and I think, oh, they're going to talk about parents. They didn't. And the one book was giving some recommendations. You know, as what you know, could be done. And I thought, oh boy, just can't wait to read this. But they're going to talk about parents. Made one passing mention to parents. We can replace the floor. We can have all kinds of things for children and teens, and I'm not knocking that. Again, I emphasize that. But if the pipe is still leaking, you replace the floor repeatedly. Work in the pipe. Be sure parents are in order. And that involves living in a broken world, and I'll address some of that tonight and some next Sunday morning. Single parents, parents who may not care, one parent who may not care, you know, an unbelieving parent, you know, and so on. But at least address it for future generations. We cannot guarantee future generations, but we can be faithful in the present generation. And a lot of that ties into God's plan that has been given and has not changed. What if each couple in our church spent 15 to 30 minutes a day in prayer for themselves and their offspring? Each father led in some type of family prayer or Bible study or discussion four or five days out of every week. What if? Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I want to be faithful to you. Just really sharing my heart. Floors may be fine in a home, but if they keep rotting because the pipe is leaking, 
we need to work at the pipe. And Father, in light of that illustration, I would say that parents are the pipe. And in the last 80 to 100 years, over and over again, the body of Christ has bypassed parents. to seek to impact children and teens. I pray, and mighty is our Father, is that we as a body here at Roaring Brook will emphasize parents as we seek to minister to children and teens. We as a body will emphasize older saints coming alongside younger, older saints coming alongside that single parent or a parent whose mate might be unsaved or indifferent. We as a body of Christ might lovingly and patiently confront and rebuke parents who may be negligent, but yet they claim to be believers. We desire all this, Father, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.